0: everybody. Welcome to our podcast. I'm Felicia Borland, and I'm here with Melina Azell and Juliana Williams. We will be discussing our civil rights briefing. Our topic today is religion and separation of church and state. So we'll be going through um, from the 1920s through the early 2000s. We'll be discussing various court cases. Um, We're only going to highlight a few of those today. And if you would like to look more in depth on some of those court cases around religion, you can check out our timeline and you can find out more details there. But today we'll only be discussing um, about uh, six or seven um, in order to kind of keep our time limit and keep you guys intrigued and engaged in um, in our podcast in these court cases today. So, we're going to start with Julie. Anna is going to discuss a couple court cases um, to start out with. Uh, sure. So, in uh, 1925, they had the court case Pierce
1: versus a Society of Sisters. And in this case, Oregon had passed an amendment um, stating that um, all of the students through eighth grade had to attend public schools. Um, it said that their goal was to um, get rid of private schools. So two different schools separately sued um, the state of Oregon, the Sisters of the Holy Name, and also Hill Military Academy. Um, they sued their governor, Pierce. And thus, the Sisters uh, claimed that this uh, violated their First Amendment right of freedom to religion. And Hill Military Academy argued that it violated their 14th Amendment right uh, because they do own real and personal property. Um, both of those cases won separately in front of a three-panel judge. Um, so they were saying that it did indeed in- violate their rights. And then in the 1930s, we have the case Cochrane versus the Louisiana State Board of Education. Um, in this case, um, the Board of Education were using part of their severance tax fund to provide textbooks to um, different private schools free of charge. Um, the taxpayers and citizens of Louisiana were frustrated because they were arguing that the, that the edu- Board of Education were ta- was taking private property and using it for private purposes. Um, the court did rule that it did not go against the 14th Amendment for two reasons, the first reason being that the books are to be used by the children and not the schools, and also they were the same books being purchased for the public schools as the private schools. So they were not um, religious in character. So they were not promoting that religious stuff, so.
0: All right, so Melina, you wanna share about the, um, a few things in the 40s and the 60s? Yes, so
2: actually I have two cases that I'm gonna talk about first. Um, And the reason I'm gonna talk about them together is because they actually have very similar situations, but they had actually different turnouts. Um, So kind of the question that they asked was, can schools give kids release time to have religious classes? And what this release time is, is actually um, the schools would allow the students to leave or um, have periods during the day where they would learn Um, about religions or their specific religions. And in the McCollum versus Board of Education, which took place in 1948, these release times um, for these religious classes were actually on the school property. And it ended up being ruled unconstitutional because it was specifically on these public facilities, Um, as opposed to the Zorak versus Clausen, which was took place in 1952. Um, This release time allowed the students to leave the school premises for a short period of time to go take these classes off campus on a totally private um, property, and they also had to have parental permission to attend these classes, so no children were forced to do this, but they were able to do this to practice their religion, and this this case was actually seen as okay and perfectly constitutional because it was taking place on private par- property. No child was forced to learn the material. And um, this release time was um, seen as almost like an extracurricular.
0: So, if I can interject real quick. So, the difference between those two cases were one, the first one was on school property, allowing kids to go to religious classes, versus the other one. They could take religious classes, but it was off of school property. Is that right? Absolutely, yes. And I provided just a kind
2: of a little brown slideshow picture um, that just kind of clarifies that very bluntly in the um, timeline that you can take a look at if you have more questions about it. And then in the 1960s, we look at Abington School District versus Shemp. I hope I said that correctly. Um, this, was, this took place in Pennsylvania and it was required, there was this Pennsylvania law um, that the Bible was supposed to be read every single day. And the law actually stated that at least 10 verses from the Holy Bible should be read without comment at the opening of each public school day. And any child should be excused from the Bible reading or attending such Bible reading upon the written request of a parent or guardian. So if we go back, which I'm not going to talk specifically about the Engel versus Vital case, but you can go back and look at that in our timeline. They had ruled that prayer in public schools interfered with the Establishment Clause. So this uh, this case, which forced teachers to read the Bible in the middle of school, also um, they agreed that it interfered with the Establishment Clause and also the Free Exercise Clause. So in an eight to one decision, the Supreme Court determined that reading the Bible in a public school is unconstitutional, unconstitutional and in violation of those two clauses. So that's kind of all I have about those two.
0: OK, cool. So I'm going to go on and talk about a couple of things that happened or one that happened in the 70s, one in the 80s. Um, these are with a couple of two or a couple different um kind of diverse groups the first one is the 1971 court case with wisconsin versus yoder so to kind of historically set up the time period at this time wisconsin had a law that stated that students all students had to attend school until they were uh, 16. well there were three amish fathers it was jonas yoder wallace miller and Aiden Yetzi, I believe I pronounced that correctly, um, they were actually all prosecuted um, and fined for truancy because they refused to send their 14 and 15-year-old children to high school. So they had attended through eighth grade, but um, they did not want to send them on to high school. So it went to court, and on May 15, 1972, um, the court had analyzed the Amish religion and they had basically concluded that due to the Amish attitudes, values, and lifestyles that um, that it was basically justified that, that the kids were fine not going to the high school, that it would kind of, the high school would interfere with their attitudes, values, and lifestyles. So the court concluded that um, the students would be receiving a vocational education at the home and so um, you know with trades and and different skills and such so that was going to be kind of their secondary education but the court did conclude that the state law with wisconsin was um, in violation of the first amendment right so the um, next case is in the 1980s um, is what was exactly 1980 was palmer versus board of education this was a case with um, a kindergarten teacher in chicago um, she was a Jehovah's Witness, and um, she shared with the school that she refused to recite the Pledge of Allegiance, um, any type of patriotic songs, or certain national holidays. She was not going to be affiliated with those things. And she made this clear to her building principal. So they, they put into place some accommodations for her there was a lead teacher or um, different student teachers. And sometimes the children would lead these activities, which the uh, Palmer later stated, she said this basically just led to chaos whenever the kids would lead that. And so this affected her her school or her uh, her job. And there were even parents threatening to not enroll their children the following year. So the her second year teaching, she received a letter from her district with, um, I believe a total of like seven, uh, teaching expectations in which she disagreed again with four of them. Like she had reiterated the year prior, I'm not going to do this. And she was fired by December and she took it to court and they did rule that they're requiring her to teach the, um, the pledge and say the Pledge of Allegiance was a constitutional violation, but she was not protected with the holidays or the songs. So um, so they did they did see through with that. And I believe Melina has a one more court case for us today. Um, so kind of the last thing we wanted to talk about, we wanted to talk about
2: a whole bunch of different topics um, and make sure we didn't repeat a whole bunch of information or very similar cases um, so the kind of the last point we wanted to discuss today was um, evolution in schools. And um, in the 2005 Kitzmiller versus Dover Area School District case, this is probably the this is the last case in our timeline. The Dover Area School District implemented a policy that stated students will be made aware of gaps or problems in Darwin's theory and of other theories of evolution, including but not limited to intelligent design. Um, the science teacher were also, the science teachers were also required to read a statement to the class prior, and I'm not sure if this was before class or at the beginning of the semester, but they were basically required to say, we are only teaching evolution because we're required to, and if you have questions about other theories, um, please let us know. We have many different resources so that they could basically really plug um, the idea of creationism or that intelligent design, and this was obviously um, an issue for um many parents and parents and teachers actually both sued the school district for promoting those religious teachings, such as intelligent design. Um, We have, they ended up doing the endorsement test and the lemon test, both on this um, specific court case. And it was determined that they had failed and that it was a violation of the establishment clause. But there are plenty of other evolution types of cases where the schools were actually trying to force creationism in the schools. Um, So (laughs) Um, I think it's kind of interesting when you think back to like the night, the 1600s when we started education and they were really trying to plug like the new England primer Mm -hmm. and how much Bible was involved in schools. And I mean, that's not separation of church and state. And now we really try to make sure that we're being neutral and even in 2005, though that was something we still didn't quite grasp, was we were still trying to force creationism in a school setting, public school setting, which is very much supposed to be neutral and not forcing that religion.
0: Right. So um, in our timeline, we have a few various other topics. Um, we cover lots of different cases with uh, prayers in schools or your moments of silence. Um, we've got a handful on evolution. And um, if you'd like to check out any more court cases revolved around religion or separation of church and state, uh, you can check out our timeline with our civil rights briefing. And we hope that you all have enjoyed listening to our podcast and have a wonderful day. Mm -hmm.